You might wonder why I have my hat up here. But when I came into the church last night, Chuck Klein said he, he liked it so much that I told him that maybe I should preach in it. <laughs> but actually, I brought it for a little funny story to start with. Uh, I think this was three weeks ago. I'm not going to mention any names so I don't embarrass anybody, but I was getting, I was in the back of the church talking to somebody and I uh, said goodbye to them. And I went to open the door and somebody ran up and stopped me because they thought that I was a visitor. They, they asked me who I was and that they didn't know me. They wanted to say hi before I left. And uh, I said, it's John Farrow. And they're like, oh, well, I didn't recognize you with your hat on. So I guess this here doesn't mean anything. I'm identified by this. So. Well, I'm going to... Uh, Start with a little more serious story. Um, the title of my message today is your, ba- "Is Your Pack Too Heavy? Trust Your Guide." The message really, I feel like the Lord's been giving me this over the course of the last year, um, but the title wasn't there. And uh, there's a, a hunting guide that I watch on uh, YouTube. Uh, and he shared his testimony, and uh, he does a, a blog now that says, Trust Your Guide. And I was like, wow, that just really goes along with, with what I wanted to share. So so this guy's name is Billy Moles, and he's called a modern-day mountain man. He goes to the very wilderness of Alaska. He's been doing it for 23 years now, and... Over eight years of his life now, over the last 23 years, have been spent in a tent, just a pup tent, in the wilderness of Alaska. He's lived there by himself at times, and then he'll have a hunter flown in at times. And so normally he'll go and get dropped off by a plane that lands on these, what they call runway, and it's the tundra of Alaska. And I don't know if I'd be looking forward to that landing every time, but... um, so he'll get dropped off maybe a week or so beforehand just to go scout, and, and he, he lives in Wisconsin. And, uh, well, whenever he goes, sometimes it's places he is familiar with that he's hunted a lot, but sometimes he'll st- they'll do a pin drop and say, let's just try that area. So he's somewhere that he's never been before. I mean, he's hundreds and hundreds of miles away from any other human being. Um, so he can get prepared for his hunters to come in. But some of the ways he gets a client is people watch his thing on YouTube and some, you know, I know it's been a dream of mine to hopefully hunt Alaska someday. Um, he goes to sportsman shows and, and people will come up and strike up a conversation. Some people know who he is and know all about him, but some people don't, but they just find him interesting and, and want to do that trip. So, So whenever he books a client, though, he tells them three things right from the get-go. The first thing he tells them is you want to be in the best physical shape you possibly can be in. So if you don't think you're going to be in good enough shape for a year or two years, you might want to book that hunt out that far just so you can get ready for it because it's not going to be easy. Um, uh, one of his that I've watched in three days, they were doing a doll ram hunt. They walked 85 miles in three days going up and down the mountains of Alaska. And so it's, it's not an easy thing. Um, 
The second thing he does tell them is to watch as many of his videos as you possibly can. They're free on YouTube, so you don't have to pay to do that or anything. But he wants them to know kind of ahead of time what they're going to be facing. And uh, depending on what game species they are and everything, so uh, they're, they're different types of hunts. So he says, really try to watch as many of them to prepare yourself for it. And then he tells them what to bring. And normally, you almost always, whenever the hunter gets flown in and they unload it, they have everything he told them. It's, you know, they, they come prepared the way he told them to come prepared. So normally when you fly in on Alaska, you can't hunt that same day. So the next morning when they get up to start their first hunt, he'll, the night before he tells them what to pack in their pack to be ready for it. So they'll, they'll venture, they'll either leave right before light or have a little breakfast and, and head on out. Normally within two to three hours, he'll notice that this hunter is already struggling, even if they've gotten themselves in good shape. Now he does know that the altitudes and things like that, you know, that can be hard on a person. They'll, they'll keep moving, maybe another half hour goes by and he realizes that they're really struggling. And at that point he stops and says, let me see what you put in your pack. So even though they listened to him all the way up to this point, he said without fail, they put stuff in their pack that they have no need for for what they are doing that day. And one, one I watched, they, this guy literally pulls out an axe that weighed five pounds in his pack. And Billy's talking ounces when he, he puts it in his pack. And, and this guy's bogging himself. The one thing he presses is the eight bottles of water. So that's a lot of weight to begin with, is eight bottles of water. But what ends up happening is whenever people put things like the five-pound axe in, they think, well, I'll leave a couple bottles of water out and try to balance that out. So as much as they listen beforehand, it seems like they just all of a sudden think they know best and, and do their own thing on that. So, so on that note, I wanted to look at that um, spiritually and how that affects us spiritually. Um, so whenever I use the word pack um, throughout this, um, I'm using it basically as a metaphor because when I talk about the Holy Spirit, the Lord gives us his spirit. He lives within us. But just as a metaphor, I'll say put it in, in your pack. So I'm going to be using a lot of different scriptures in the bulletin. If you hadn't noticed, I did have copies and I put them in there. Uh, oh, and almost all the scriptures I'll be using today are in there. So, so the first thing, once we know the Lord and we, we come to a relationship with Him, He gives us His Holy Spirit to guide us and and to be with us, to empower us to live for Him. And uh, I use two scriptures on that. And John three thirty four says, "For whom God has sent." speaks the word of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. In Acts 15, 8, And God, know, who knows the heart, testified to them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. So just like Billy's telling his hunters what they have to do, he's given us his Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. The second thing I have there uh, is the word. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That really lays a plan out there, that with the Word of God, with the Holy Spirit empowering us, we need to put that Word, we need to pack it in there. And in Psalm 119, it says, Thy Word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against Thee. So... Now we have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to, to keep us moving forward in our walk with the Lord. Um, I did want to read one thing that's not Scripture this morning. Uh, I'm reading a book, Sacred Rhythms. And uh, it says, The Word of Scripture should never stop sounding in your ears and working in you all day long, just like the words of someone you love. And just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of Scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. Do not ask, how shall I pass it on? But what does it say to me? Then ponder this word long in your heart until it has gone right into you and taken possession of you. And that was Dietrich Bonhoeffer that said that. We have that relationship with the Lord. It's, it's a love relationship. We should want to hear from him. We should want to be communicating with him uh, just like somebody that we dearly love. I know just I was away this for five days here just recently, and I looked so forward to making that phone call to Barb. Uh, just, I mean, we've been married for almost 39 years now, and but it just still it never gets old. And I think the older I get, the more I miss her. And uh, But that's how we need to be with the Lord. We, we need to long for that and for his word to speak to us. And then that way we can use his word to not sin and, and to live our lives in a pleasing way before him. So the third thing I have listed here is prayer. First uh, Thessalonians five sixteen through 18, it says... Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ. So we have prayer that we can be in communication with the Lord always, 24-7. He doesn't clock out at 5 o'clock and you got to wait till the next morning to talk with him. You could be here at church, you could be in your car, you could be in the wilderness of Alaska. He is always accessible and we need to be praying. And the Lord moves and does mighty things when we, his people, pray. Fourth, I have humility. In Ephesians 4, 2, it says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. In James four ten, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. When he gives us these things to put in our pack, he knows these are for our benefit. He knows that what we are going to need. He, he's the God who created us, and so he's, he's telling us what we need. Um, I also think the humility thing is very important because I think that without humility, we would have very little opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. If we approach them arrogantly, or uh, there's just not going to be an open door there. And Christ demonstrated humility in the greatest way ever by dying on the cross for us. 
And uh, he has set the example for us to be full of humility. And, uh, and I believe that he knew that without that humility, we wouldn't have opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. And then I have forgiveness. Matthew six fourteen and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Also in the Lord's Prayer, it says something similar as that as well. We have to be people of forgiveness because we got to remember that we were just sinners needing our the Lord to forgive us. We're no different or better than anybody else. Um, and I can tell you one time in my life where I really, really struggled with that. I was hit by a drunk driver. If I remember, it was 1994, um, and it was a pretty bad accident. And fortunately, I didn't get terribly injured. Um, but where he hit me was right at my driver's side door, and then right behind me, the back part of the seat, the seat behind me got basically ripped out of the vehicle. I was by myself, but that's where Hunter, my son, always sat. And it just infuriated me to think that if he would have been there, instead of being thankful that he wasn't there, I was infuriated thinking if he was there, he he wouldn't have survived that. He would have been ripped right out of that vehicle. And uh, I struggled for a long time. I would, even the, the guy went to jail, uh, but even though he went to jail, I would two or three times a week drive past his house. And I just, it took me a long, long time. And, and the Lord just really convicted me that whenever you have that unforgiveness, you're chained to it. It's like a prison and it can consume you. And as that's consuming you, you, you can't really even be in a place to listen to the Lord. And uh, thankfully he did convict me of that and I've been able to forgive. And uh, I don't even really think of it much anymore but and I am so thankful that he protected me through that and uh, so forgiveness is is a big one um, and number six I have love and these are not an exhaustive list this is just part of the list that the Lord spoke to my heart but it is not an exhaustive list by any means Proverbs 3, 3 and 4 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. And Colossians 3, 12 and 4 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bearing with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We are called to love one another. And that's brothers and sisters in Christ. But he is also telling us that we have to love other people. We are told to love our enemies. And again, the door gets open a lot easier when you're loving somebody than when you're not. And uh, I think that he really, really emphasizes that 
I just love that when it says, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So all these things I'm saying beforehand, they're all bound together in that love, in perfect unity. Now again, like I said, this isn't an exhaustive list. You can, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, it talks about the Beatitudes. Um, Galatians uh, 5, 22 and 23 it gives you the fruits of the Spirit. These are things that the Lord is giving us. But as he gives us these things to put in our pack, these aren't things that are going to weigh us down. These aren't heavy things that we can't deal with. Um, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, it says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So as we're putting these things in our pack, the Lord knows exactly what we need to put in there. And, and he's not going to weigh you down where it's too much. Um, so when I went through these uh, six things, and like I said, definitely not an exhaustive list, um, then I got to thinking, what are some of the things that we put in our pack that do weigh us down? These are the things that keep us from doing and serving the Lord the way we're supposed to. And I came up with three um, in for this. Um, and again, definitely not an exhaustive list. <laughs> um, first, I put worry and fear. Now, you might think... Why would I put worry and fear in my pack? I, I know better than that. But um, obviously I think the Lord knew that we are going to be prone to do that. Because in Matthew 6.25 he tells us, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? In Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you with my righteous right hand. And knowing that helps you definitely not fear or not worry. But Barb and I, we have a friend who I know is in the Word every day. I know that they love the Lord. One of the things they deal with on a, a daily basis is fear. I, I, they called me, this person called me a couple days ago. I spent over about an hour and five minutes on the phone with them. And the Lord just gave me a lot of verses to share with them. And, and then I was able to pray with them. But this person's been a Christian for many years. But fear still... And when I heard what the issue was, to me it didn't seem like a big deal. But I can't judge and say that shouldn't be a big deal to this person. But they needed to know that they needed to rely on the Lord. That, but but it's easy to quickly just grab that fear out of the pack and start worrying and and not trusting the Lord where He's taking you. And uh, and I really believe that that's why He addresses these things because He knows that we're going to be in these situations and and turn and grab the, the the wrong thing out of the pack, the things that we put in there. And the second one kind of goes along with the first one. I said money. In Acts 5, 1 and 2, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. 
With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the disciples or the apostles' feet. Um, I don't know. It doesn't really say in there. Did they hold it back because they thought, oh, I might need this to lean on? Uh, was it just greed? It was a time when people were voluntarily together as a church selling their property and sharing with everybody. Um, so for some reason, they felt like they needed to hold this back. And so when Peter addressed them, uh, they not only held the money back, putting that money in the pack maybe that they think they're going to need to rely on, but they also then lied. So they, they had lie in their pack, you know, and uh, they felt the need to hide that and, and to lie. And at that point in time, and I'm not saying this is going to happen to you if you do this, uh, but when Peter confronted Ananias about it, he lied and said that he didn't hold anything back. And the Holy Spirit, he told him that he lied to the Holy Spirit, and he actually dropped over dead right there. And then a few hours later, when Sapphira came in, she didn't know what happened. And so when they addressed her... Um, I think if she knew what happened, she might have responded differently. Uh, but she she also lied. And it said that in there that she knew. I mean, they did this together. It wasn't just him or her. They She was well aware of what happened. So, again, I'm not saying the Lord's going to... But but money, we, we can start re- relying on money. And I'm going to use myself as an example two times today. And this is one of the places is... This is many years ago now, but when our kids were young, uh, we were struggling financially. And uh, the Lord gave me a second job, and I really believe it was from the Lord. It it really helped take care of our needs at the time, and and it was working at a church. So, you know, I just really felt good about it. But as time went on, a few, two or three years down the road, and our kids were starting to get to the age where I think it was going to be more important for me to be around than to have that second job. And the second job wasn't needed so much at that point, but I just got so used to it. And uh, and it seemed like it just got more and more. They wanted me to work more days. They, they, later in the night, I would work on a Saturday night, a big youth event, and this was a big church, and literally walls would have holes in them from the plaster because people had gotten so rowdy. And my job was to have that completely replastered, sand and painted it before the service the next day. I'd be there to three or four in the morning sometimes doing it. And uh, and then it came to the point where I really knew the Lord was telling me that I needed to not keep the job anymore. But I kept saying, oh, but we, we really need that money. We could We could do this with it. We could do that with it. But the Lord was making it very clear. It seemed like things were getting worse the longer I held on to it. And uh, so one day, excuse me one second. (coughs) One day when I was there working, uh, there was the big church building. And then up on the hill, they had this house that they used for their office spaces. And I was up there cleaning and I was emptying trash, and I bent over, and you can take this for what you want, but 
Uh, I don't know if anybody else was there, if they would have heard it or not, but as clear as somebody speaking to me, I heard a voice say to me, John, you need to quit this job and start relying on me. And I mean, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I literally ran out of the room and down the hall to see if somebody else was in the building. I I just, and it was just a wake-up call for me at that point. I, I was ignoring the Lord, and I think, I think of the story, we're reading through the Bible, Barb and I, chronologically, and we just read about Balaam, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, he had to have a donkey speak to him before before he uh, woke up, you know. So there are consequences to not listening to the Lord. and He will do what it takes to, to get your attention. And um, I actually picked up, went right back in that office, I picked up the phone, and I called my boss, and I put a two-week two notice in. And we we never missed a beat financially or anything after I did that. But it was me just really resisting the Lord and uh, trying to rely on that money more than I was relying on the Lord. And then the third thing I put was judgment. Um, in Matthew 7, 1 through 2, 1 and 2, it says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And I'm not going to be up here claiming that I am perfect in any of these areas. This is the second time I'm going to use myself, though, as an example. And I remember this as clearly as if it happened yesterday. When I was young, my Uncle Stanley, my my mom's young brother, and two of the cousins would come over and it was me, I have a twin brother, and my older brother, two years older than us. And these guys used to just wrestle with us on the floor. We'd roll around. We just, we had a blast when they came. So every time they came, we were excited. We we just knew that we were going to have a great day. It was going to be fun. And uh, so we looked so forward to that. Uh, unfortunately, my, my Uncle Stanley was killed in a car accident at a very young age, but a couple years had gone by, and I, I knew the Lord at this time. Um, but this car pulls up, and where we lived at that, my dad has a driveway and things now, but back then you had to park up on the road. So this car pulls in and parks, and these two guys get out, and they start walking down. And they had all ripped up jeans and dirty T-shirts on. Both had super long hair, and, and uh, one of them had a beard. And I was like, I was standing by the door, I'm like, Mom, you you need to come here. There's there's two freaky looking guys coming down to the house right now. I have no idea who they are. Well, then as they got close, my mom knew who they were right away, and it, and it was the two cousins, Russell and Avery. And I remember feeling about that tall, even though I was still a fairly young kid. It just it it broke my heart that. That I thought this, these were two of my most favorite people in the world, and here I was just judging them because of the way they looked. And we judge people in many, many ways, from the way they look to what they wear to color of skin. We we can and and I know this is surprising, but Christians can be judgmental as well. Uh, in fact, sometimes, unfortunately, we are the worst of being judgmental. Um, I'll tell you one more little quick story on that is. I had a cousin, my my aunt had gotten divorced and her and her two sons moved to Florida. To the best of my knowledge, they really didn't go to church or anything before they were up here, but 
some reason, my, the younger cousin wanted to go to church, so he went to church. He went by himself, and uh, he really liked the message uh, that the pastor spoke, and people were real friendly. And so he went up to the pastor after church to talk to him, and he handed him a $5 bill, and he said, here, get your hair cut before you come back. And I don't know to this day if he's ever stepped foot in a church again. We really, really need to be careful with what we say and how we judge. The Lord does not want us judging other people. It's for the Lord to judge their heart, not us. So I'm just going to ask everybody here to search their own heart. Um, in Psalm 139, 23, and 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David really knew the importance. He, he had a deep relationship with the Lord and he knew the importance of having that, having his heart searched because we can so quickly, so quickly step away from our daily things that we do, reading scripture. For me, if, if I go in, in my trip the, this past week, it, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. And uh, I went to Kansas and I rode with somebody. And uh, so it was a 16-hour drive. And uh, we were there only a couple days and turned right back around. And uh, I was working on this uh, message each evening most of the time and uh, unfortunately I'd realized I left half my notes at home and I didn't even know how to where to tell Barb where to find them so I'm like but the last day we were in such a hurry we got up at like five o'clock in the morning and we drove and drove and drove and and uh, I didn't do my reading that day and when I woke up the next morning I, I could just I knew that I hadn't done the reading not that I did anything super wrong or anything like that, but I just really missed what the, you know, what the Lord was going to be speaking to me that day. By just missing one day, we, I took away from the Lord an opportunity to speak to me through his word. And it is critical, again, that we put the things in the pack that the Lord has for us and, and not the things that we think we need. Because every time we put something in there that we think we need, it's, it's the wrong thing. The Lord is our guide. When Billy goes and he guides these people on the mountain, not only has he instructed them with the instructions beforehand, not only does he instruct them with the things to put in for the day, but there'll be times when they're on the mountain and he'll be like, he'll, he'll always take the lead and he'll say, put your foot right where I put my foot. Don't put it to the left or don't put it to the right. I mean, they're on the side of a mountain sometimes. It's like this, and it's all rock. And he knows that one misguided step, that person could fall and roll. And the, the three things he tells is that he, first of all, obviously the person's paying really good money, so he wants them to get an animal. Um, second, though, most people that dream about going to Alaska and hunting, they have this thing in their head that what it's going to be like. And, he wants them to have that experience. He wants it to be everything that they had hoped for that it's going to be. And uh, 
Third, he wants them to come back alive so they can share that with their families and the people that uh, were excited for them that they're going on the trip. So he, he tells a story about this one river crossing. They crossed it in the morning, and it wasn't bad, but on the way back, it had warmed up enough that the snowpack had started melting and it started like a misty rain. And the, the river literally came up about two feet when they were, and they had to get back across this. Uh, and the guy he had that day, his biggest fear in life was drowning because he had a near drowning experience when he was younger. And uh, so Billy thought, you know, I got to cross this first, figure out what the best route is. And then... I'm going to go downstream. In case he slips and has a fall, I have a chance of, with a rope, maybe saving his life. That time he did have another guide with him that he normally wouldn't have, but the guide's uh, hunting uh, client was not able to come in. So he said, hey, how about if I just uh, hang out with you guys? So he had him walk a few steps behind this guy. Um, And... The guy did end up slipping and falling as much as he tried to navigate that the way Billy had told him. And they, they were able to, to save him. And uh, But just like Billy, we have the Holy Spirit again living in us. He guides us every step of the way. He tells us. I, I look and I see with the Israelites when, when they're coming out of Egypt. And he has this laid out from them. And everything's good until they think they need something from their own pack. At the one point, and this astounded me because I never really thought of this till recently, um, it, it, as many times as I've read that story, but whenever they built that the golden calf when Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and they're getting tired and worried that he's dead and he's not coming back, you know, and they tell Aaron to build. The Lord was in that camp with them. He, he he was either a fire at, at night or a cloud during the day. So right in the presence of the Lord, they even still turned away and felt like they needed something else. Even though they've seen the Lord do things time and time again. And in his word, he, he shows us so many examples of how he guides us. Every day, every step, everything that we do, the Lord guides us through it. Just like Billy, the Lord wants us to have an eternal life. He, he came to give us life and life to the full. And if we'll trust the guide who is our Lord and Savior, who gave us life for us, we'll be able to live the life that at the end, when he sees us face to face, we'll hear that, well done, my good and faithful servant. That, that's, I have that written in the back of my Bible. That's the seven words that I want to hear more than anything I've ever heard. I want to hear those seven words. So. Oh Lord, search our hearts. Show us where we are putting things in the pack that weigh us down and keep us from serving you. Please give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey that we might know your good and perfect will. And I ask this for the glory of your name for the abundance of our lives and for the sake of others. In Jesus' name, amen.